Welcome back to the podcast of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast episode as our Christmas break kind of turned into a spring break as well. But we are beginning our podcast episodes again, and I guess we could call this season two if we want to. But in this very first episode, I interview Blake Hearson, a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of a book on sacred space. As our church is transitioning to another location, I thought it would be good for us to think about the idea of sacred space. And in fact, we'll be putting a couple of copies of Dr. Hearson's book in the church library. So if you find this interview helpful and interesting, I would really recommend reading his book. Well, I recorded this while I was on campus this past week, and I used my iPhone, and so the audio quality is not as good as I had hoped for, so I hope you'll overlook that and really benefit from this interview with Dr. Hearson. On today's episode of our church podcast, I am talking with Dr. Blake Hearson from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on Sacred Space. So I had Dr. Hearson for an Old Testament theology class, and I think I accidentally started saying that I wanted to be in the class to learn about New Testament theology. So I'm thankful that you're still letting me interview you, Dr. <laughs> Hearson, even though I've made a blunder from the very, very beginning. Um, but Dr. Hearson recently wrote a book on the topic of s- sacred space mm-hmm. and his work moving locations and selling what some would consider a sacred space, and, and maybe in some ways is. Mm-hmm. We'll ask Dr. Hearson his opinions on that. Um, it, it's good for us to think about what we're doing in, in this move and what the Bible says about sacred space. So Dr. Hearson, I just want to start by asking, what is sacred space? I think maybe mm-hmm. people have different definitions or ideas of what that is. They do, and it's um, it really depends on who you ask in terms of the modern understanding of it. Um, what I can speak to is kind of the biblical understanding, which is any place, at least in the Old Testament, it's, it's initially any place where God makes himself known as accessible. Um, because there's, we tend to take for granted the idea that, you know, you can pray to God anywhere, anytime, any place, and that we have that access. But it, it wasn't always so. Part of what happened with the fall was there's a barrier. Communication with God is difficult. And so <laughs> as a result, um, God had to reveal himself. Sacrifices have to be made. Uh, interaction with God was um, difficult at points and even dangerous at points. And so interacting with God was a, a serious matter and you had to have a place to do it. Well, God made it very clear that not just any place would do. And he set himself apart from the other gods of the time by saying, you know, the other gods are attached to things. Um, they have uh, things that they are associated with. you know. And for our culture, we could think, you know, like Thor, God of Thunder, mm-hmm. something like that. Well, he's associated with lightning, with thunder, that sort of thing. Same thing was true in the ancient world. Uh, they associated different gods with different things. Um, trees, fertility, thunder, um, different things like that. And so you could figure out where to worship your god based on what was sacred to the god or goddess. 
Mm-hmm. So thunder, bail, um, but all in the Hebrew. Well, where does lightning strike? High points. Mm-hmm. So you go up to high points and you have access to that deity in the land of Canaan. Whereas God, um, the God of Israel, made it very clear, yeah, no, you don't get to figure out that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to um, <clears throat> wait for me to reveal myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the surprising things like with Bethel in Genesis 28. And I'll stop rambling there for a yeah. minute at that. But Jacob sets up in what amounts to he just needs a place to sleep. And so he's basically kind of in this plane, uses this rock to prop his head up. So for all practical purposes, he's in the parking lot of a Walmart. Mm-hmm. And boom, he has this vision of angels ascending, descending on this stairway and uh, God at the top. And God makes this amazing promise, reiterating the promise to Abraham. Jacob wakes up and says, oh, cool, what a great promise. All these things could come my way. No. He wakes up and says, how amazing is this place? Mm-hmm. It's the very house of God, but there's nothing here. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is an access point to God, and there's but there's nothing here. Off in the distance, there's this town, but, you know, so... Um, there was nothing that would have signified this is a contact point for heaven, mm-hmm. between heaven and earth. And so in the Old Testament, it's anywhere that God makes himself known to be accessible. And the angels show they don't just pop up anywhere. They have they use these access points. Um, in the you know book of, of Judges, you've got... Um, the angel coming from Gilgal to meet the the people at a place called Bohem. Right. Well, Gilgal is one of these places that God revealed himself to be accessible. And so the angel comes from there. He doesn't just pop up at Bohem. He actually comes from Gilgal because that's mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the escalators between heaven and earth. And so mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, that's kind of how sacred spaces work. Um, that changes a little bit in the New Testament. And then that ultimately leads to kind of some of the ideas we have about sacred space. Okay. But I'll stop there. Yeah. Well, I have a quick sub-question because you mentioned something, and I haven't thought about this before, Mm -hmm. but in the account where um, the messenger of the Lord, two or or three Mm -hmm. three figures come to Abraham, Mm -hmm. they they travel there, it seems, Mm -hmm. and then they travel on. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about the fact that they didn't just appear Mm -hmm. there, but but they saw them from a distance coming. So does that relate to the sacred space? I think it does, yeah. I think it does. We're not told where they come from at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, but but yeah, it's the same sort of what you have going on at Bethel is these angels coming down, going about their assigned tasks, and then coming back. Yeah. go back up to heaven. So uh-huh. there's these access points for them. And angels, of course, are limited. You know, they're, yep. they're finite. So um, they're immortal in a sense of not being cursed with death, but they're not omnipresent with mm-hmm. God in the way that God is. So God is in some sense omnipresent, but because of the fall and because of our finiteness, we had the... Old Testament believers have to have a connection point. And so sometimes we kind of think of the church that way, but we'll 
Yep. So go back to that. Yeah, so I think, you know, you, you mentioned talking about it, sacred space in biblical terms. So I mm-hmm. think um, for for people who might be thinking in terms of a sacramental theology and, and the sacredness of space mm-hmm. in that way, that's a little bit different than what we're talking about. Correct. But, mm-hmm. but I think the descri- description you're giving is maybe what some people think of when they think of sacred space, particularly mm-hmm. when they think about it centered on a church building. Yep. You know, this is where I hear the word spoken from the Lord mm-hmm. authoritatively. This is mm-hmm. where I feel like my prayers might be answered more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think that in our situation where we're hoping to see one of those spaces torn down and a different place where the word has never been preached and mm-hmm. prayers perhaps have never been answered, it might be good for us to start to see how this idea of sacred space gets developed in the Bible, which Mm I think is what you've done in your book in a helpful way. Mm -hmm. Um, But starting in in maybe in the garden a little bit, that seems to be a sacred space. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. No. Um, But after that, that seems like that's where the problems are. Mm -hmm. Um, But even in the garden, God's present their connection with God doesn't seem to be every moment of every day in a special way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Um, there are some limitations to it. And so in some ways, you know, we, we can sort of think about, okay, well, you know, the garden was, was perfect and it was, um, fellowship with God was to be had. And yet we go, okay, well, why did God do it in such a way? If God's in control, why would he do it in such a way where the fall could occur? Well, to understand that, and if I don't come back to it, remind me, because mm-hmm. there's a lot here. But um, if you don't mind, I'll just try to succinctly trace it through. Great. All right. um, communication with God becomes much more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Post-garden, post-fall. Uh, and so you have... The necessity of sacrifice um, to for an unholy being to interact with a holy being. Um, anytime someone without proper coverage, so to speak, tries to interact with the holy, the holiness of God, the relationship is roughly equivalent to a mosquito and a bug zapper. Uh, it doesn't end well. Okay, mm-hmm. and so the. Um, Uzzah is a great example of that, where he tries to stabilize the ark um, and touches the ark when it's about to fall, you know. And there's a whole backstory in terms of why God, why that would happen. But, you know, in the interest of time, I won't get into that here. But that's just an illustration that interacting with God is is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And uh, God says, only at certain places. So one of the big things there is God says, you have to be dependent on me. I will come to you. Mm but you have to be dependent on me. And there seem to be three major categories then that develop in the Bible. You know, and any of these categories are somewhat artificial, mm-hmm. to put it that way. But three major categories of, of the sacred spaces in the Old Testament that traces through. And then that'll carry us into New Testament, which then we can talk about the mm-hmm. church. Um, the first is, uh, the first place we would, type of place we call temporary. All right. So those places where God appears, there's some sort of revelation between God and a person. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of ongoing communication at that place afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's usually in a situation where Israel or the patriarchs or somebody's on the move and they're not going to mm-hmm. easily come back to that place. 
Um, once we get to the promised land, the land of Canaan, you start to get these places with more permanence, mm-hmm. such as Bethel, Shiloh, Gilgal, Shechem. You know, these places that come into to play where God agrees to meet with people on a regular basis, and little sanctuaries will develop there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then the third category, so you've got one-time revelations, you've got places with kind of ongoing sanctity. Um, the one that everybody knows with the ongoing sanctity would be Jerusalem mm-hmm. and the temple. All right, but there are other places. Um, and then um, the tabernacle. The tabernacle has its own little category because it's movable sacred space. Mm-hmm. And so I use the illustration of um, the way phone technology is developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the temporary would be kind of like receiving a telegram, you know. You get the message, but it's not, then you don't have to come back to that place. There's no ongoing connection there mm-hmm. beyond getting that message. Um, the places with ongoing sanctity, um, like Bethel and Shiloh and Jerusalem, are more like phone booths. Mm-hmm. Okay, So you go back to that place and you can continue to make a call. There's a connection between heaven and earth there, and God has revealed it to be so. Okay. And then the tabernacle is like the early stages of cell phone. So it's kind of like a cell phone. It's movable, but it's those really big honking ones that you have to take a battery pack with, and it's got a giant antenna and stuff. <laughs> so it's not, you know, it's not super easy. Because with the tabernacle, when they set it up, then that becomes sacred space. Mm-hmm. Once they break it down and pack it up and move, the place it was sitting on no longer seems doesn't retain sanctity anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's more associated with the elements of the tabernacle itself. Hmm. Now, what happens in over time is that um, people in those particular different places, like Bethel, like Shiloh, um, you have them start to do things that they shouldn't do. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, they start to worship other gods there. Uh, in the divided kingdom, once we hit the divided kingdom of Israel's history, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel is called Jeroboam. And he sets up these golden calves at Bethel and at Dan. Well, Bethel formerly was, you know, this was a place of revelation to Jacob. Mm-hmm. And so it was this place with ongoing sanctity. But by setting up let's worship of another god there, because of its past significance and the people associate the sacredness with it. God basically says then in the prophets that he's disconnected that line. Hmm. Okay, So when somebody goes there and tries to get in touch with Yahweh, um, they get the beep-boop-beep. Hmm. We're sorry, this line's no longer in yeah. service. All right, And the prophets say, don't go there. It's done. It's disconnected mm-hmm. because of what you all have done there. You've, you've soiled it. Mm-hmm. So God has disconnected that line. So that happens progressively with more and more spots as time goes on, to the point where all that's left eventually is Jerusalem. Okay, it's the one contact point with God, and that's why when Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians uh, in five eighty six, five eighty seven, five eighty six BC. Um, it was more than just a loss of, you know, a family place, mm-hmm. a hometown. 
for them it was means we're disconnected from God. Mm-hmm. We're cut off from God. There's no place left. All right. Well, you have the, you have a, a glimmer of hope in there, and then in, in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel's talking about that the temple's going to be destroyed, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He has this vision, and you see God moving away from the temple and moving away. And God has to move away for to let the enemies in, mm-hmm. to destroy. But God isn't just moving away. He's moving, and he goes to where the exiles are in Babylon. Mm-hmm. So it's this presence of God with the people in Babylon. And so we have this almost kind of back to pillar of cloud and fire, tabernacle kind of idea that God's with the exiles, but there's not a particular place associated with it. Hmm. So we get a little bit of a difference there. All right, so then we get to return from exile, building the temple again, and lo and behold, here comes Jesus. Okay, And in John 1, John is tracing, obviously picking up with Genesis. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word being, you know, symbolic of Jesus there, an indication of Jesus. And he goes on, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Mm. So that means that Jesus is that movable sacred space. Jesus mm. is the connect point. All right. But he doesn't stop there. At the end of chapter 1, John has this, reports this interaction between Jesus and Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's a little skeptical, and then, you know, the Spirit works on his heart, we assume. And Jesus says, you know, a couple things, and and uh, Nathaniel suddenly switches from skepticism to total belief mm-hmm. pretty darn fast. And uh, <laughs> Jesus says, because I saw you and know a little bit about you, you're willing to believe that quickly. That's That's good, but you're going to see greater things. You see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right. So Jesus now is that stairway. Hmm. Jesus is that connect point, referring back to Bethel, Genesis 28. All right. Um, And God, if I can backtrack just a little bit, God, you know, in Jeremiah tells them, look, I don't need the sacred space. You need the sacred space. You need the contact point to me. I don't need it. The other gods need their sacred places for their worship to be fed, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't need it. If you think I need it, you've imported some pagan theology on this. Hmm. And so that's where the go now to Shiloh, the title of my book, comes from. He says, you know, Shiloh is a sacred place, and look at it. Mm-hmm. It's destroyed. I can do the same thing with Jerusalem. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. All right. So then Jesus comes along and says, now I'm your contact point. Okay. And, in fact, this temple is going to be destroyed. The second temple is going to be destroyed. And so the disciples and those that are listening to him are putting this together. And they're saying, ah, okay. The temple is going to be destroyed, but we've got Jesus. So we're shifting now from a place to a person. Mm -hmm. We've got a person that is our connect point to God. All right, that's cool. I kind of like that. And Jesus said, oh, by the way, I've got to go. (laughs) I'm going to go back to heaven. That's why the disciples kind of freak out. And that's why Jesus says, don't worry, I won't leave you orphans. Mm-hmm. Orphans, a.k.a. without a connection to the Father, without a connection to God. Because their initial reaction is going to be, well, if our connection to God is you and you're leaving, mm-hmm. doesn't that 
end up with a net result of losing the temple. You know, we lose the temple, we lose you, we're still back to square one in terms of not having any kind of reliable connection to God. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus says, no, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And that's that's the amazing thing, is that now sacred space has shifted from place to person to people. Mm-hmm. Because with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the individual believer, that means Christians become sacred places. Mm-hmm. Okay, That we become little temples. Therefore, we are the access point to the rest of the world mm-hmm. in terms of them being able to get in touch with God, to get a relationship with God. It's through us, and that's how God's designed it. So then Paul picks up on that, and that then leads us to our modern church thing and and, um, and says, look, there's a mystery here, but you have to understand that there's an element where collectively we're sacred space mm-hmm. when we come to worship. There's something sacred about that. And individually we are sacred space. So when we're together collectively worshiping, we sanctify that space mm-hmm. by our presence and what we're doing. All right. But that's also why we can have like a sanctuary where we do worship because it's through us, through our interaction with God Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit within us. And then we can use that space, you know, to have a water gun fight with little kids running around, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, Because the space doesn't sanctify it. It's the person. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like we're little tabernacles. Um, It's the holiness is attached to us in God's graciousness. And where we go... We have a sanctifying impact on that. God has a sanctifying impact on it through us, more correctly. All right. And so when you're moving a church, okay, moving from one building or another, that's where we say the church isn't a building, the church is the people. Mm-hmm. And that's very accurate in a way that we don't often realize. And we have to realize and be so thankful for the fact that wherever we go, we have that access. Mm-hmm. The curtain has been torn. The access to God through the temple is now free for all who are believers. Um, It's no longer dangerous because the blood has taken care of that. And we have that access and we have a responsibility to share that access and invite others into that fellowship. Mm -hmm. And so the building doesn't matter because the people matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And wherever the people are, that's where God is. All right, And so that's kind of how that would apply is that when you as a congregation move from one building to another, you are moving the church. You are moving that sacred, that sanctity because of what God has done through Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, both communally and individually. Hmm. So that's kind of a, as short as I can make it yeah. for a whole biblical theology. Yeah, right? well, I think <laughs> so, you did a so. good job keeping that compact for uh-huh. us. But it it raises a few questions for Mm -hmm. me because it seems that early on, especially, God was making a big point that I am the one who gets to choose 
who and where mm-hmm. I can be reached. Um, mm-hmm. In the movement to people, do we now get to control God in a sense? And um, always, you know, we get to just say, well, you must listen to me because mm-hmm. now I'm a sacred person. And, you <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. uh, how, how do we think about our communication with God, both in terms of the assurances that we have of his spirit and, and him hearing us, but then also... Um, we don't get to make demands of God. I think we would say that. How Mm -hmm. does that relate to us being sacred people spaces? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I could could give a little bit of a trite answer and say, (laughs) yeah, you can try to control God and let me know how it works out. Um, But it's obviously we don't control God any more than the ladder Mm-hmm. Or the stair controls God in terms of the connection between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. You know, we're an access point, and we have unfettered access to God, but that's not the same as controlling God. Yeah. You know, God can work through us if He so chooses, mm-hmm. um, but we don't, you know, somehow have power over God. Mm-hmm. We're the access point. And even Jesus in His ministry submitted, mm-hmm. right? He submitted and is an illustration of that. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, who actually had a claim and was God incarnate, illustrated the submission. So, you know, we are thankful for our access, our unfettered access, but uh, that no more than the child having unfettered access to their mom and dad mm-hmm. do we have control over mom and dad. Yeah. You know, and so... Uh, in fact, it's just the other way. It's it should inspire a submission and thankfulness that we have that access to mom and dad. Yeah. So, so, so that access is a privilege, correct? And it brings responsibility yes. as well. And mm-hmm. so, when when you think about us being sacred spaces, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think one of the thing benefits that I had in reading your book on it was mm-hmm. feeling the weight of mm-hmm. um, the the changes there, mm-hmm. and you ended by talking about you know, what that should do for us in, right. in giving us responsibility. Right. I mean, is one of the reasons our ch- our church wants to move buildings is so that we're better positioned to reach our community with the gospel. And mm-hmm. and I think that connects to this. But how, how would you talk about our responsibility as sacred people? You've hinted it at some, mm-hmm. I think, but what how should we look at ourselves and how should we sense that responsibility that comes with being a sacred people. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that I got passionate about the topic and wrote the book in some ways is we take for granted being able to pray Mm -hmm. and are certain that that will be heard whenever, wherever. You know, when I started doing some research on it and stuff, I asked people in different parts and walks of life and then I well, I pray in the car. Does that make the car a sacred space? I suppose in some ways it does. And they were getting the idea that it was what they were doing in the car that mm-hmm. created the, the link to the divine, um, that they had that access. But we take that for so, so much for granted that we don't realize what a privilege that is, first of all. So one of the things I think the way it impacts us is to realize having that level of access to a holy God is unheard of. I mean, it's it's more, and this is this reminded me to circle back to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's more than they had in the Garden of Eden in some ways. Hmm. Right, 
the Garden of Eden, God would come and walk and talk with them, but it wasn't a kind of constant access even there in some ways. Yeah, there apparently was a time where they didn't sense God's presence, right? Is mm-hmm. there talking yeah. with serpent guy, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, okay. Yeah, so it's not like they're out of God's vision in some ways. God is limited by that? No. God isn't limited by sacred space, um, but we are limited in our access mm-hmm. to him, so he provides sacred space. Yeah. Um, and just realizing that that's not a given. That's not a given in a fallen world. And to have the level of, yeah, I can talk to God and be sure that he'll hear me should floor us. Mm-hmm. It should floor us and realize that that's not just your run-of-the-mill average gift. Mm-hmm. right? And then it should also instill a level of responsibility towards evangelism in that people seeking God and you think, well, I hope God reaches out. I hope God reaches them. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the vessel. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're the stair. You're the, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, you're the hands. And mm-hmm. to use a different analogy, um, you know, we are his body. We are his hands. We are his feet. So there are different analogies that are used even in Scripture or the temple where people can come. Mm-hmm. Um, and make God accessible. We are the hands, we're the feet. And the fact that we're given the Holy Spirit isn't just, wow, God really likes me. That's great. See ya. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a responsibility in our interactions with others, mm-hmm. both Christian and non-Christian. Non-Christian to share the gospel, to reveal that before them there is a way to mm-hmm. reach God. Um, and in terms of our, that there's something mystical when we come together as believers that in some ways goes beyond our understanding that somehow we form a living building mm-hmm. in which God is present. And, uh, that too should floor us so that we're not so individualistic. I think in our worship experience, we mm-hmm. tend to think of you know, this is great, the singing lifts me up, but I, I, I'm all about me and God. Mm-hmm. It should be all about us and God. There yeah. should be a, an element of the knitting together, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so there's that temple analogy, there's a body analogy that, you know, when one part hurts, the whole body hurts. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that same sort, of, same sort of picture. And I think we miss that in part because we don't understand how difficult it was um, and how much Jesus really gave us, not just salvation, but relationship. Mm-hmm. The salvation is the start of a relationship. And it goes beyond just, it's not just a get out of hell free card, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so, um, so often in times past, there's been this, well, do you want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. And uh, that okay it has a point but it's so transactional yeah you know um whereas uh jacob and the old testament patriarchs were excited about their interaction with god and what that meant for their life Hmm. you know and then how much the more so to use a rabbinic saying how much the more so you know for someone where Something that dwelled in the tent before now indwells us. Mm-hmm. Someone that dwelled in the tent before now dwells in us. Mm-hmm. 
if we don't get some chills and goosebumps about that every once in a while, we're missing, I think we're yeah. missing something. And if that doesn't motivate us to kind of go out and share that in the interactions that we have, we've missed something in the theology of the the whole theology of the story of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. it's, I think it's motivating to me to um, carry on the thing I grew up with of bring people to church, but mm-hmm. then extend, you know, extend beyond that to say, I'm a contact point mm-hmm. for people and I I can share God with them in a way that they're not getting just by themselves somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? So um, instead of being a church and it's just God and I, and mm-hmm. then going out and thinking, well, I can't do anything, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind right, of like right. a uh-huh. flipping of the script, but mm-hmm. um, I think that responsibility is really increased. And then I think a responsibility f- to grow in personal holiness mm-hmm. and, and love for the Lord, looking at these Old Testament interactions between mm-hmm. people and God and thinking, you know, the God, it's the same God mm-hmm. and um, I'm interacting with him. So I can't just be sacred or, when I join, go to a building, mm-hmm. but my whole life needs to be thought of in terms of a sacred calling. Right. I think it build on a little bit on your statement there too, that bring, bring people to church. Well, why do you bring people to church? Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you bring them to church, you're not only helping them have access to God through you individually, but ideally if the congregation is where it should be, other members of the congregation are going to see that visitor. They're going to um, come together with you to share the presence of God, the option of having that relationship with God, with that person, that the communal building, individual members of the church, the communal element um, comes together. So you can have a miraculous sacred space, if you will, in an unroofed, mud-walled, mm-hmm. middle of nowhere in Africa, or a cathedral in Rome, mm-hmm. it's the people. Yeah. It's the people that sanctify it for the time that they're worshiping and the time that they're interacting. Um, and then when you leave that space, that space can be used mm-hmm. for other things. Yeah. Now, does that mean we allow... You know, the Church of Satan to come in and you say, No, ideally not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but it's not the it's not the space mm-hmm. that matters as much anymore. And that actually interestingly developed among the, the rabbinic communities as well. Mm-hmm. With the loss of the Temple of Jerusalem, yep. they switched to well it's the when the community comes together to study Torah, mm-hmm. that, that space, the synagogue is sacred. Once you're done with Torah study, you can hold a party there. It's fine. Yeah. So um, so, so in that way, we can look at little kids running around an auditorium mm-hmm. and say, that's fine. You mm-hmm. know, don't get hurt, but you're not yeah. like offending God by right. allowing your toddler to run down the aisle right. mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I think anyone listening to this is going to agree and say yes and amen to everything mm-hmm. you said. But I think there's a part of many of us that would also say, well, I've, I've, worshiped at this place whether mm-hmm. it's a place in my house where i always read the bible and pray or or a church building is there is in in some people like to come to church mm-hmm. and pray on their lunch break or mm-hmm. something is there anything wrong with um having in our minds our our emotions or mm-hmm. something the sense of at least to me this place is more sacred than you know 
uh, my living room or something like that. Oh, no, absolutely not. There's, there's the sense of the sacred, you know, and, and we have the modern definitions. We get into the modern definitions of what feels sacred for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes me feel a little closer to God. Uh, for some people, it might be a majestic cathedral. For some people, it might be the church building they grew up in. Some people, it might be out in a nature preserve mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, their, the way God's made them in terms of... And so those places can have significance. Mm-hmm. They can have significance. And the significance can be such that it instills in us an awareness of the presence of God in our lives as we communicate with him. Uh, and so that is totally fine. And actually I encourage people because God's made us to respond to different. Some people respond very strongly to music. Mm-hmm. You know, some, for me, I respond to um, the majesty of nature and the, the way God's made mm-hmm. me. And so, um, whereas the, the praise songs I enjoy, but it doesn't necessarily you know, give me a sense of reverence in the same way that being out in woods near a public stream might, mm-hmm. you know, um, just a sense. But the awareness that God is not limited by those places, that God is ministering in and through you with the Holy Spirit in you, and he's built into you appreciation for for tradition, for uh, particular places, and those are, those are totally fine. Those are good, um, and even something like we could talk about nine eleven and the site of the twin towers, mm-hmm. or the Gettysburg battlefield. Are the, do those places have significance and inspire a sense of, of reverence mm-hmm. for what happened there? Yeah, absolutely, and they should, mm-hmm. because something majorly significant or loss, or something like that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the particular hospital where my daughters were born, mm-hmm. kind of thing would be have a certain significance for me, yeah. and so, you know, God has created us in such a way that, because we're finite beings, we have that. Mm-hmm. That's okay. We just have to realize that when we move from one church building to another. God is with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not leaving God behind in that in that building. God is gracious enough to be be with us mm-hmm. and uh there's that tabernacle aspect that it's movable. Doesn't mean that that place is now nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, or that we shouldn't feel perhaps some sense of loss or grief because of the history and the worship and that has taken place at that former place. Um and if the building's going to be torn down or something like that or turned into something that isn't a place of worship anymore. I would expect us to have a sense of loss and yeah. a little sense of grief to that. And that would be good and normal, I think. Yeah. But we don't want to limit that when that place is being torn down, God is being eliminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and I think in our situation, no one's regretting that this place is being torn down. Mm-hmm. We're, we're thrilled and praising God. But it mm-hmm. seems like there is a sense that significant space mm-hmm. and sacred space kind of butt up against each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish between the two yeah. because of, of what we experience there and yeah. what we do there. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the, the key is to realize that the connection with God 
is his Holy Spirit in you as a believer mm-hmm. and in your community, in your local church yeah. congregation. But that doesn't mean that other places don't have significance or that all places are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, if you walk into your standard utilitarian Baptist church or seeker-friendly church, it might be an auditorium, that's not going to inspire the same sense in you as if you walk into, say, Paul's Cathedral in Rome, right? Even if you're not Roman Catholic, there's a sense of awe and history that draws your mind and your sense to God in the heavens, uh, in the architecture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's appropriate. I think yeah. that's appropriate. Um, but God, you know, to go back to the Shiloh thing, God says, look, if you're living as if I don't exist or matter to you, you can worship in those in the cathedral in Rome all you want, and you go out and treat people awfully, awfully and, and live a life of sin and don't care. You're missing the point, mm-hmm. and you're defiling sacred space in a way you yeah. don't realize. So yeah, yeah, it seems like some of those things, um, architecture, you know, different postures or practices, kind of make us more aware of the reality of the sacred space that is there. But mm-hmm. we'd also say someone in a prison cell it has that contact point with God, mm-hmm. even though there's nothing encouraging awareness about mm-hmm. that. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think I want to end by asking you, I I may have missed this in my reading of your book, mm-hmm. um, but as we read texts like the end of Revelation, where heaven descends to earth or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, whatever that means and whatever imagery is there, what, what should we be thinking of in terms of sacred space and um, the the end of all the, where things are restored and, and right. that sort of idea? Right. Um well, before I answer that, let me okay. give a caveat that Book of Revelation hasn't happened yet. Okay, so since it hasn't happened, my answer needs to be couched in terms of we'll see. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, don't take this as as anything I say as definitive because you know it's it's a good educated guess mm-hmm. based on the Book of Revelation, but the Book of Revelation itself says. Be careful. You don't know everything. And so I want to couch it that way. Now, that being said, what seems to boil down to to it as we hit the book of Revelation is that ultimately we have, in the end, two spaces left. There's the new heavens and the new earth. The temple wasn't going to be in talks about the marriage feast of the lamb you're having fellowship over food you know that's a very throughout scripture fellowship over food is a very intimate relational thing Mm -hmm. um and you have the new heavens and the new earth and god being present among his people and there being no temple because the name of the place is god is there Mm -hmm. so we're back in some ways to garden of eden but even better. And then the second place is outer darkness. Mm-hmm. So you're either with God, in fellowship with God, or you're in the outer darkness. Mm-hmm. And those there's no in-between. There's no kind of sh- 
sifting of wheat and tares or mm-hmm. anything. That's all done. Mm-hmm. So there's just those two places left. Mm-hmm. And so there's the new heavens, new earth with God, and there's outer darkness. And that's all that's left by the end. And so that seems to be where this is climaxing, whereas what we get post-Garden of Eden is, you know, these, these pinpoints where heaven breaks through mm-hmm. and people have access to God to these people where heaven breaks through mm-hmm. and having increased access to God to there's only access to God or you're not with God. Mm-hmm. You're in yeah. damnation. So, you know, that seems to be the movement and the way we're going mm-hmm. based on the way the book of Revelation depicts it. Now, what does that being with God look like in the new heavens and new earth? Um can't say for sure obviously mm-hmm. but it somehow it I can't imagine that it wouldn't be better than Garden of Eden where you know we've got some physical independence new bodies mm-hmm. uh, purified bodies and stuff but at the same time we're never disconnected from fellowship with God mm-hmm. there's that kind of ongoing instant connection mm-hmm. um still less than God but perhaps having some level of access similar to what Jesus mm-hmm. has with the Father yeah. and that's an educated guess yeah it's an well educated it seems guess, like it's so. some a bit of a mystery but I was curious mm-hmm. as you've looked at these things but, yeah and um, you know I, I tend to go stop a little shy of the book of Revelation just because it is such a, a big question mark and the emphasis of the book of Revelation is hope for the future Mm-hmm. without you needing to know all the answers. Yeah. And so I that's where I tend to go with as kind of a biblical studies guy, I tend not mm-hmm. to push it past try not to push it too far past you know what the Bible itself describes. Yeah. And so you know, we can't help but do that a little bit. But what revelation at the end of revelation seems to describe is mm-hmm. two places, with yeah. God or not. Yeah. You know, and that's the main emphasis and and being with God is our hope. Yeah. Is our hope. Amen. So. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about these things. I know we've been uh, thinking about these as we're we're changing locations and Mm -hmm. you've you've served our church really well. So thank you for doing that. Good. I hope I expressed it in a clear and easy to understand way. But yes. All right. Well, I I think that uh, Dr. Hearson's book is well worth reading. It's mm-hmm. really it's not um, it's it's academic in terms of being biblical and careful, mm-hmm. but it's not super heady. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the right word. So, yeah, I didn't write. I um, tried to write it so it would be accessible to a college level audience. Yes. And above kind of thing. So mm-hmm. Well well that book is going to be in our church library. So if you're interested in learning more about sacred space, um, you can pick that up in the coming days. But we'll keep praying that God will use us as sacred people to to reach our community. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This podcast is a ministry of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. To learn more, you can go to www.resurrectionmn.org.